0: You're listening to the free edition of Sweden in Focus from The Local. If you would like to listen to a full-length version of the podcast, as well as an additional midweek episode, please check the episode notes for details on how to upgrade to Membership Plus. Here's this week's free edition. Hello and welcome to Sweden in Focus, The Local's weekly news podcast. We are recording this episode on Thursday the 25th of January and we're going to talk today about the latest in the NATO accession saga after Turkey's parliament voted this week to let Sweden in. We'll look at a top Sweden Democrat politician's comments calling for the banning of Muslim symbols. We'll examine Sweden's complicated relationship with wolves and finally we'll discuss a major hacker attack that hit Swedish authorities and retailers and we'll ask how well prepared Sweden is to deal with these kinds of attacks on digital infrastructure. I'm Paul O'Mahony and with me today in Stockholm is James Savage and we're joined from Malmö by Emma Lovgren. How are things?
1: I'm pretty tired, actually. My daughter woke up at 2 a.m. last night and was wide awake. But apparently it was a full moon last night. And some people say that they sleep badly during full moons. And I guess that fits with the wolf theme.
0: Exactly. <laughs> yeah, well, hopefully we'll make it through this next half hour or so intact. James, how are things with you?
2: All good. I mean, apart from the fact that I was mysteriously left off the guest list to the Prime Minister's 60th birthday party, everything's on top form.
0: Oh no, I feel really, really <laughs> sad for you. No, I'm sad. Yeah.
2: You didn't go either.
0: <laughs> no, I didn't get an invite this time or any time. <laughs> Before we get into the news, can we just talk about ice bathing? Well, why this... not? Yeah, well, it's been kind of in the news a little bit recently. So as as we know, it's been a very cold winter and lakes have frozen over all over the country. And if you pass by any popular bathing spots, you'll often see a hole in the ice where people go to take a quick dip in the icy waters. Are either of you East Badara?
1: Uh, nope. I've never done it in my life and I'm pretty sure I never will.
2: Well, OK, there's two ways of doing ice bathing, Right. One is just to take yourself down to a hole in the ice and jump in. The other is to do it in combination with a sauna. Now, I've never done the first of those, but I have done it in combination with a sauna. And I have to say, it is amazing. It's unbeatable. The rush you get when you go from the heat of the sauna and you're sort of desperate to cool down. And so you jump into the ice and it's just this wonderful adrenaline rush. Mm. And I would say it's perhaps one of the best things I've ever done.
0: Wow. And a lot of people are doing it these days and you've been looking into it a little bit. Why is it so popular in Sweden? Well,
2: the obvious answer is because Sweden has cold winters, a lot of water and a love of the outdoor life. So why not? I mean, it makes complete complete sense so
1: I'm not sure it makes complete sense. <laughs> oh, it, it,
2: it really, I mean, the thing is, there aren't that many other things to do in Sweden in the winter, are there?
0: <laughs> yeah, we're just going to go jump in the ice. It makes complete
2: sense. <laughs> makes sense to me. <laughs>
0: but yeah, a lot of people espouse the health benefits of it. But what's the what's the science on this? Is it good or bad
2: for you? Well, I've heard it said that if you survive it, you'll live for another year. I'm not sure that's a health benefit. It's a health test, maybe. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but more scientifically there are some studies that show that it might help you burn fat it might reduce insulin resistance and improve insulin insulin sensitivity i don't know what any of this means i read it on the internet and it therefore might also protect against heart disease and obesity but disappointingly when you when they do these kind of overarching studies mm. um they look at all the different research that's been done they say that there's no conclusive proof of any major health benefits at all. It's not completely ruled out, but nothing that sort of scientists in general feel is is is, is really um, is really proven beyond
0: mm. doubt. Um, would that dissuade you from trying it again? No, because it's fun, mm. it's lovely. I yeah. Totally, highly recommend it. That's what a lot of people have said. It's like, who cares about the health benefits? It just makes me feel good. I
2: wouldn't have, exactly. Lots of things that are good for you that I would never dream of doing, mm. but and lots of things that are bad for me that I do all the time. This is just fun. Mm. That's why you do it.
0: Okay, that's the spirit. So just a couple of things to note before we move on. The French president, Emmanuel Macron, and his wife Brigitte are coming to Sweden on a two-day state visit this coming week, which starts with a reception at the Royal Palace in Stockholm on Tuesday. What else are they getting up to when they're here?
2: Well, I mean, this visit was supposed to happen in October. And then it got postponed until now. It was the start of this war in um, in Israel and, and, and Gaza. And there was, there was a school shooting in France. And so it got postponed. Mm. Anyway, so when they're here, the, the trip will be split between Stockholm and Lund. And the official line is that this visit is about innovation, the green transition, security and defence. Mm. And this is obviously against the background of Russia's invasion of Ukraine and France's status as the EU's biggest military power and one of NATO's leading powers and this comes at a time when sweden is as we all know trying to get into nato apart from the usual banquets and the and, and and the flummery there will be meetings with military leaders and a visit to the european spallation source in lund which is a massive european research center for um, particle physics mm. um, and they'll also go to lund university among a few other things so it'll be a busy schedule but but I think this is also um part of Sweden trying to strengthen its alliances with other EU powers, which it's been trying to do over the last few years, particularly since Britain left the EU and since, you know, you've got some of these countries in um like 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 Hungary and, and the Czech Republic that are veering off towards the the hard right mm. and Sweden is trying to find common cause with like minded countries in Europe.
0: Okay. And um, do you reckon they'll take the opportunity to go ice bathing?
2: But you never know. You hope so. If, if anyone finds, if anyone sees pictures, then um, please share them with us.
0: We also had an email from a British listener this week, noting that the UK's 15-year rule has come to an end, meaning that British citizens who have lived outside the country for more than 15 years are now eligible to vote in UK elections. You're affected by this, James, aren't you?
2: I am. Mm. I shall be able to vote. Then, Though I'm asking myself whether I should, because I don't live there, I don't pay taxes there, I don't have connections there. But some people who've lived outside the UK a long time, for instance, receive a British pension, or may have other, you know, strong financial or other connections with with the UK that mean that they feel that they they should vote. And I may vote just over issues that connect to the right to live in the UK in the future with my partner, because those have been on the on the agenda where they've been raising the threshold for the salary you need to have to be able to import your partner, which obviously affects those of us who are living outside the UK. But yes, it will be the first time I've been able to vote since 2018.
0: Mm. And we have an article on the site that we'll link to in the notes for anyone who wants to find out more about this change and how to register. Let's move on to NATO now. On Tuesday, Turkey's parliament finally approved Sweden's application that it submitted for ratification in May 2022. What can you tell us about the Turkish vote, Emma? Why did it finally happen and how did it play out?
1: Well, it's dragged on for almost two years, so I guess it was bound to happen at some point. Why it's happened now, don't know for sure, but it's probably linked to the, the whole saga of the F-16 jets, which, uh, which Turkey wants to buy from the U.S., And there have been sort of more and more hints in recent months from a pretty high political level in the US that if Turkey ratifies Sweden, it could make the US Congress less reluctant to approve the F-16 sale. So it might have something to do with that. We kind of knew that the Turkish parliament would vote yes once they actually voted, because it was President Erdogan's party who put it to a vote and the final result was uh, 287 yays to 55 nays. And that happened after like hours of debate in Parliament. And the decision came like at 9pm or something in the evening. So both Richard and me we were jumping on the site to be able to put up an article about it for the local. And we also had an article that Becky had prepared in advance on the assumption that they would vote yes about what what happens next, because it's not over. Yeah, so where does it leave Sweden? And there's also the matter of Hungary, who also haven't ratified Sweden. And there have been pretty mixed signals coming from Hungary. I like think They used to say that they wouldn't be the last country to ratify, but they've kind of also backtracked on that a bit recently. Viktor Orban, he, he sent a letter to the Swedish prime minister, inviting him to come to Hungary to negotiate NATO all of a sudden. But he also urged his parliament to ratify Sweden ASAP. Hungary's parliament is supposed to reconvene on February the 26th after the winter break. But they could, in theory, be called back for an extraordinary session even before then.
0: So we don't know when Sweden's actually going to be in NATO, do we?
1: The final step is for Sweden to hand over its own accession documents to the US. And potentially, potentially, it could happen in mid-February when NATO defence ministers are to meet in Brussels anyway. But it will only happen if Hungary has also ratified by then. And I don't know, if I'm going to make a guess, I'd say Sweden will join next month or possibly early March. But I mean, who knows? I think Turkey and Hungary have done more than anyone else in terms of increasing Swedish public approval of NATO. Because at this stage, everyone is so fed up with all the delays that their instinctive reaction is just like finally an end to this whole palaver. Mm.
2: I think what's interesting now, though, is that Sweden may join NATO at a stage where, let's say that Donald Trump gets back into power in November, the whole future of NATO could be thrown into question. And what's going to become more important if Donald Trump does come back into power? And if he does either leave NATO or perhaps more likely indicate that the US is not to be relied upon as, an, as, as a NATO partner for, 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 for European states, it's going to mean that the focus for European defence shifts much more to back towards EU Joint defence and uh, to, and together with together with the UK, which which makes this 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 relationship with France, for example, the strongest military power in the EU, even more important. But also makes relations with the UK more important and Sweden's own um, rebuilding of its defence uh, mm. even more important. So, but let's. Um, I think Sweden will be hoping that uh, America renews its uh, its commitment to NATO. But uh, there's a lot that's up in the air now.
0: Interesting times. Thanks both for that roundup. And we'll link to our articles on this in the show notes. So in the Turkish parliament debate this week, several speakers focused on last year's Quran burnings in Sweden. And one person accused of fanning the flames at the time was Rikard Jomshoff, a top Sweden Democrat, who's also chairman of the Parliamentary Justice Committee. He said that if Turkey was upset by the far-right agitator Rasmus Paludan burning a copy of the Quran, then Paludan should burn a hundred more. And Yomsov was back in the news this week for more comments he made about Islam. Just quickly, James, before we get into what he actually said, who is Ricardo Yomsoft? What's well, his story?
2: I mean, in a parallel universe, he would be known only as a former member of the moderately successful synth-pop band Elegant Machinery, <laughs> um, which, among other things, had a top-five hit in Spain. <laughs> is that true? Uh, yes. What? Uh, of course, no, this is Wikipedia. Um, but but yes, he is—he he is, he is a—he's a synth pop uh, veteran. I mean, he still has the synth pop hairstyle, very, a very, very synth pop hairstyle. But he's now far better known uh, as a leading Sweden Democrat, or in Sweden at least. I don't know about in Spain, but in Sweden, he's much better known as a leading Sweden Democrat. He's chairman of the Riksdag's Justice Committee, and he is notorious for regularly going out of his way to say offensive things about. It. Islam. He's called it a despicable religion, a violent religion. He's called the Prophet Muhammad a warlord, a mass murderer, a slave trader, and a bandit. He is definitely an Islamophobe of high rank.
0: And what's he been saying this time?
2: Well, the comments that have raised hackles this time came in an interview with Afton Bladert, where he raised the prospect of banning minarets and crescent moon symbols in Sweden. He said that for him, they represent something, I quote, very dangerous. And he compared them to swastikas.
0: And when he made those comments that you just referred to, about calling the Prophet Muhammad a warlord and a a mass murderer, members of the opposition called for his resignation. What kind of reaction has there been to these latest comments?
2: Well, there's been disgust and disapproval from many. I haven't seen any actual calls from his re- for his resignation this time. I'm sure lots of lots of people in the opposition have a sort of standing call for his resignation, mm. don't want him to be there. But general disapproval and disgust from people in the opposition.
0: Uh, has there been any pushback from the government?
2: Yeah, there's been a bit. I would say quite a lot more muted than previously. The Defence Minister, uh, Paul Jonsson, simply said he hadn't seen the comments, so couldn't say anything. Mm. Gunnar Strömme, the justice minister, said in a written statement that freedom of speech and freedom of religion are fundamental to democracy and that they weren't, weren't going to be banning anything. I say the, the, the minister who has gone furthest is the Liberal Party's equality minister, Paulina brandberry who did criticise Yomsov, said that she was proud that Sweden was a multi-religious country And obviously, religious symbols should be able to be visible and that it was terrible that such a thing needed to be said. So that was a definite distancing from her perspective. And you could see that the moderate ministers were distancing themselves less, but she was going a little bit further.
0: Okay, thanks, James. Uh, We'd be interested in hearing from listeners who are Muslims about whether the rhetoric we've been hearing from leading Sweden Democrats has affected your life in Sweden in any way. Uh, Please write to us at SwedenInFocus at com. taken by an outdoor ice skater of a wolf walking across the frozen waters off the island of Lidingö in Stockholm. What can you tell us about this, Emma?
1: It's not every day you see a wolf in Stockholm, is it? No, it's not every day. And it was also spotted like in central Lidingö, which is you know a place where, where people live. It's not mm. just out in the forest somewhere. And um, wolves have actually been living permanently in the Stockholm region for the past decade, but they generally tend to avoid populated areas and, and people. What should you do if you ever do encounter a wolf in the wild? If you see a wolf, you should calmly walk back from where you came and not make the wolf feel like, cornered or threatened in any way. You should try to keep an eye on it so that you know what is up to you. But don't make direct eye contact, because it might interpret that as a kind of challenge. If the wolf gets very close, or if it refuses to stop following you, you should try to walk towards it and make yourself look as like, imposing as possible and maybe shout at it, like think of it as a bad dog. <laughs> what I find interesting is that they tell you that if a bear attacks you, you should as you know a very last resort, play dead and try to cover your most essential body parts and hopefully it will lose interest. Mm. Now, that's absolutely not what you should do if a wolf attacks you because they have their hierarchical canine instincts. So if you play dead, it will think of you as inferior and just keep attacking. So instead, you should fight back as much as you possibly can. Like Kick it on the throat, try to claw its eyes out, whatever you can do, just don't don't give up. But you should also know that it's extremely rare that a wolf attacks a human. And in fact, the last confirmed deadly attack by a wild wolf in Sweden happened in the early 19th century.
0: Sweden has a complicated relationship with wolves, doesn't it? I mean, how has Sweden historically dealt with its wolf population? And what's the situation like now?
1: It's very complicated. I feel like we need at least three podcasts to be able to, you know, (laughs) explain the whole thing. But in the 1970s, it was actually extinct because of too much hunting. But then new wolves eventually moved in from the east, and now there's around 450, according to the latest estimates. Um they've also spread further south. I can remember when, when I was you know, a teenager in southern Sweden, people would sometimes say that they spotted a wolf somewhere and the authorities would go, no, no, that's not a wolf. It's a big dog. It's a big dog. And then one day they just managed to confirm that, no, actually, there are wolves in southern Sweden too. (laughs) Uh, So I think a lot of people felt vindicated there. But uh, anyway, in 2010, Sweden started allowing licensed hunts again. So every year the authorities set a certain number of wolves that hunters are allowed to kill. So just like elk, for example. And like on the one hand, you've got farmers and reindeer herders complaining that wolves are a nuisance and attack their animals. And you've got hunters who feel that it's it's part of Sweden's hunting tradition. And on the other hand, you've got people saying that, well, no, hunting is wrong. And also to have a healthy wolf population without inbreeding, because inbreeding is a problem the Swedish wolf population, you need a certain number of animals. And the Swedish Environmental Protection Agency estimates that that number needs to be at least 300 and possibly higher. Have you come across any wolves, James?
2: Yeah, at a distance uh, where I have my um, country house uh, in the middle of Sweden. I've seen them at a distance and sometimes seen footprints that we've looked at and thought, hang on, that's a very big dog. And then Googled and yes, it was a wolf print. So yeah, they're around in large parts of sweden mm. and they're part of the you know part of the fauna but you know that you notice when you talk to the local people that a lot of them don't like them they're scared i mean they can't leave their dogs off a leash in the forest uh, livestock are endangered by them, particularly sheep so there's definitely a, a, a dislike of wolves among people mm. where i have my country house
0: but well, as emma said there's a, a lot to be said about this so we can maybe return to it at a later date I just want to mention again that The Local is soon going to introduce a new membership option that will include early access to an ad-free version of the podcast, as well as a weekly bonus episode featuring more interviews and analysis. We're going to have a special offer for listeners to coincide with the launch and we'll give you more information on that in the coming weeks. If you have any thoughts or suggestions for the podcast, you can always drop us a line at SwedenInFocus at thelocal.com. Uh, let's talk now about a ransomware attack on Saturday against the IT supplier Tieto Evry's Swedish data centre that we're still feeling the effects of late in the week. Uh, we'll hear in a couple of minutes from a cybersecurity expert on the likely provenance of the attack and whether Sweden needs to further beef up its digital defences. Uh, but first, James, can you tell us about the impact of the attack?
2: to Every is a supplier to many of Sweden's largest retailers and public sector organisations. So sports chain Stadium, uh, cinema chain Filmstaden and DIY retailer Rusta are among those affected. Also the cash handling company Loomis was affected by the hacking attack and said that some of its customer details could have been compromised, things like bank account details. So Clearly, this has affected a lot of very big companies with uh, with a lot of customers, and it's affected them in 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 in, in several different ways. Ruster, the this DIY chain, its e-commerce site, and um, was taken down. Garden supplies chain Grand Gordon's checkout system was downed, and that meant that they had to close all their shops. And the websites of several local authorities were affected, as was Uppsala University Hospital, where they couldn't access patient charts um, for a while. So it's had a really big effect uh, across multiple sectors in the Swedish economy.
1: Mm.
0: Thanks James. And we're going to hear now from Shahid Raza who is director of Rise Cybersecurity Unit. He's also research director at Cyber Campus Sweden and professor of cybersecurity at Meladolin University. I asked him first who he thinks is behind the recent attack.
3: We cannot say with 100% certainty who actually is behind these attacks, but there are significant evidences that points to Russia, especially their hacking group Akira, uh, who are behind these attacks. And it's important to actually link Akira with another hacking group called Conti, which was quite active against the hacking in different Western countries, including US and Canada and Finland and Sweden.
0: Is that linked in any way to the Russian state, would you say?
3: You can't say uh, with certainty, but I mean, if some uh, hacking group is operating in Russia, I would say the state has control on it. They are working against the state in Russia. Uh, they, they would be closed. So, so yes.
0: And what do you think they're trying to achieve with these attacks?
3: Specific attack, uh, the, the Akira um, uh, ransomware, the, the motive is clearly money or, because it's a ransomware. In cybersecurity, you have different threat actors and they have different motives. About 80, more than 80% of the uh, hacking groups are primarily after money. And Sweden experienced
0: a disruption of GPS systems over the Christmas period. Do you see a connection
3: between these incidents? No, I don't think so. There is a connection between the the, the GPS uh, inter- interference and, and this. Because of the very nature of the attacks. So GPS uh, interference is not a cyber attack, but it's an interference which is likely by the Russian groups on the borders between Poland and Sweden.
0: And how vulnerable is Sweden to cyber attacks of different kinds?
3: One of the problems or positive things in Sweden is that we are... One of the most digitalized countries in the world uh, where lots of our critical resources are accessed through digital medium from banking to tax sites to grocery sites to you know all uh, you name it i think it's the most critical food supply we now Actually, order things online, and we're very much dependent on the digital platforms and their twenty-four-seven uh, operations. So that makes Sweden quite vulnerable. And the pace of uh, digitalization in cyber sec- uh, the pace of digitalization in Sweden and the pace uh, of cybersecurity, there is a big gap. You know, if you see the curve, and digitalization is really going up, and the cyber is more, I would say, a straight line. Though recently the Quite a few uh, initiatives started in Sweden, uh, but it will take time when you see the fruit out of it. This specific attack was not very sophisticated you know, attack. It was quite simple. You managed to hack uh, an account, uh, an employee's account, and then you exploit that to penetrate into that country, uh, that um, company. And then you managed to, you know, get um, critical resources or access to the critical resources and you encrypted them and you asked for money or ransomware.
0: Were you surprised that this relatively unsophisticated attack was able to cause so much damage?
3: I would say I'm not surprised. We need to put more effort You know, uh, and this is not the only case. There are lots of such cases actually in Sweden that if you manage to access or penetrate into one. Systems than their dependencies uh, in many other systems. So every single company uh, in Sweden who operate in a digital space uh, must think cybersecurity as a fundamental thing.
0: One of the vulnerabilities you touched on was Sweden's reliance on digital payments. Do you think Sweden needs to rethink its approach to cash?
3: This is not a cybersecurity question, but more uh, of uh, civil security questions that every household should prepare for uh, unforeseen events so you must have some sort of backup uh, to uh, in in form of cash to um, get basic very very basic needs but I would not say that, okay, we should abolish some of the digital cash uh, or digital ways and go back to the cash ways, but having some uh, possibility to uh, use cash. I think of myself as well. I don't have cash at home, but I think about it that we should have at least some uh, to make sure that you survive for a week or two
0: that was Shahid Raza Now uh, we heard him speak there about the cashless society which as he mentioned is more of a civil security than cybersecurity issue is this something you've given any thought to considering how some shops and cinemas were unable to accept cash
1: payments when their systems went down i mean we've already got that issue even even without hacker attacks like in healthcare services for example they're they're supposed to be able to accept cash but you often have to jump through hoops to get them to do that. And maybe I just don't want my bank to know how often I go to the doctor. Maybe that's a civil security or at least a privacy issue for me. And even like putting the cashless society to one side, we've we've already seen examples of how increased digitization and streamlined administration sometimes squeezes people out. Like plenty of our readers can tell you stories about not being able to do this or that without personum or without bank idea. Mm. But I think for me, what kind of struck me about this is how interlinked everything is. Like it's it's one IT provider's data center that was targeted. An IT provider whose name I bet most people had never heard before. I'm glad I heard you say it so that I know how it's pronounced now.
2: I might uh, have said it that wrong.
1: Provide, <laughs> that provider services one of Sweden's largest HR systems. Another name I had never heard because I don't work in HR. And that HR system is used by 120 of Sweden's public authorities, and suddenly you've got more than 60,000 employees who are not able to log in to register their sick leave or see their payslips. Like you knock out one tiny, tiny piece of the chain and the whole thing falls. But on the other hand, I think it's also important to say that some essential services are still working like James mentioned that Uppsala University was one of the places that was affected but mm. but there are backup uh, systems in place like patients are still getting treated they're still getting their prescriptions the doctors are still you know providing healthcare services just having to do it with pen and paper and it takes a bit longer but it is sort of still functioning
0: Yeah, I've seen some security experts talk about this in terms of hybrid warfare and how a state actor can employ hackers to sow division in a target country whereby people no longer trust digital systems and a sort of blame game develops about how this could be allowed to happen. Do you think that's what we're seeing here?
2: Well, if it is the case that a state actor is behind this, and that's still a very big if, then of course this is a form of hybrid warfare. What else would you call it? Mm. What exactly they would hope in that case to achieve is an interesting question. I mean, certainly if attacks like this became more widespread, they would start to have a bigger economic impact. And like you suggest, they could perhaps sow disunity, but there may, be other, there may be other things that they're trying to achieve. It might just simply be the, 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 the economic impact or the, the, the disruption that it causes to, to society rather than any bigger master plan to sow, to sow disunity and cause, and cause arguments. I mean, from what we've seen so far, I don't think we've seen that much disunity caused by this this attack but we have seen a lot of inconvenience and you know certainly economic damage and and, and damage to um a lot of uh, swedish companies and organizations and maybe damage that we're not yet seeing or that hasn't been made public so that's certainly you know if you if you were if you were going to pursue hybrid warfare against sweden you could see that this would be a way to damage to damage sweden
0: That's all for this week. Thanks as always for tuning in and please leave a rating or review if you can. Our panellists this week were James Savage and Emma Lovegrain. Our sound engineer is Rhys Edwards. I'm Paul O'Mani, and we'll be back again next week. Until then, take care. That's all for this week's free edition of Sweden in Focus. If you'd like to hear a full-length version of the podcast each week, as well as an additional midweek episode with more interviews and analysis, please upgrade to Membership Plus. Make sure to check the episode notes for details on how to upgrade. Sweden in Focus is a podcast by the local Europe. Our sound engineer is Rhys Edwards. The publisher is James Savage.